0: Uh, Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 192 of the InSquash podcast. And uh, firstly, um, before we get into this, I'd just like to express my uh, deepest condolences to James Willstrup. Vanessa Atkinson, David Campion, and their families uh, on the passing of uh, Malcolm Willstrip last week. Uh, Like many of you, uh, my familiarity with Malcolm was through James's squash over the years. And uh, as a student, myself as a student of the game, uh, and as a coach sometimes, uh, Malcolm's approach to the game always impressed me and fascinated me. And uh, he had such a passion for all things squash and everyone associated with him sort of carried That same flag. Uh, I don't uh, profess to know a lot about Malcolm, but as I said, I followed him uh, a lot whenever he would speak on squash or, you know, whenever James would play, I'd always kind of uh, watch what he'd have to say. He'd do some things on squash TV, not squash TV, squash skills. Uh, That was always fantastic. And they had that great uh, documentary on him, which took him into his life. I recommend uh, that many of you get out and watch that uh, as well. But then there were, there's James as well, who to me to me, is a one-of-a-kind player, once-in-a-lifetime player, uh, who just lets his squash, uh, his incredible squash, do uh, the talking. And it's just such a – every time I watch him play, it amazes me. And, I, you know, I can't speak for James, but uh, I dare say uh, he would be giving uh, most of the credit or a lot of the credit uh, for the player that he is, the passion that he has, and the way he handles himself on and off the court uh, to his father. So um, what we've got planned on the podcast for the next couple of episodes, uh, we're going to be paying tribute to Malcolm. And uh, today, uh, to kick things off, we have Simon Park, former World number no. 3 U.S. Open champion player, uh, British national champion two-time world team champion and uh, he has quite um, he spent a lot of time uh, as a young as a young junior with Malcolm and through the years and obviously uh, uh, many of you may have seen his tribute that he shared on social media uh, after Malcolm's passing last week so I know um, uh, Simon was really keen to do this and to speak uh, to his uh, relationship uh, with Malcolm over the years so enjoy this uh, episode 192 of the in squash podcast.
1: Hi Simon. Hi Jerry. How you doing? Hey. hey, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. Well,
0: Simon, I really appreciate you uh taking the time today. And I've uh, just a uh, full disclosure, I've been a big fan of yours uh uh since way back, I guess. First time, I mean, I've known you since like the late 80s like when you were a junior and stuff, but uh I got to see you play uh in Hong Kong. Uh, it was one of the best matches uh uh I've ever witnessed, uh, just in terms of pure entertainment value, was you and JP uh, in the semi-final of the uh, Hong Kong Open. Uh, you must remember that. 98?
1: Was it 98?
0: Or... Yeah, I think it was 97 or 98. Yeah, he went on to win uh, BP yeah. the final. Yeah.
1: yeah, those days. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I've seen that one a few times going around on, on YouTube and stuff and yeah. I'll, um, I'll probably end up asking you about that. We'll uh, come to that. Yeah. A, yeah.
0: <laughs> because for me for <laughs> me it's kind of a funny uh, thing. maybe not for you, because you've you play I noticed you've played JP uh a bunch of times uh over the years and and, and I know I yeah. think you're relatively good friends as well. So yeah, yeah sure. As I, I yeah. know J I know Jonathan from you know, he's from my part of uh, Canada and sort of yeah. knew him back then as a junior and back back in the early, early
1: Days.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah the, uh, yeah, the the disco uh, ball. Like
0: a, and, yeah, the, the disco ball days. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Well, uh, well, Simon, uh, Simon, it's really great to have you on the podcast. And uh, firstly, I just wanted to I hope you and your, your family are, are safe and well. Uh, there, uh, dealing. Uh, we're all having to deal with this uh, COVID issue, but uh, in England, I guess it's still a bit bit tricky uh, right now everything okay with you and and the family you look okay
1: yeah yeah all well, good thanks yeah i had a had a couple of health scares myself last year I had a couple of times in hospital last year during during the pandemic mm. so it was pretty pretty bad for a, well it's been pretty bad for the whole world hasn't it um the last year or just over a year and right now i'm i'm really healthy and, and good and all all recovered but but last um Last March and then June, I had I had two operations um, mm. during during COVID. Um, so after the I was commentating on Canary Wharf, which was just before the first lo- lockdown, and I had to, I had a stomach stomach pain, and I had to to come out of that event and go to the hospital straight away, and they found well I had my appendix removed, um, and that was all good and everything, but it was a bit nervy because covid was just happening and you know people yeah. were, were really nervous in hospitals um and i i actually went to barnet hospital a couple of a couple of guys who were watching the canary wharf classic one of them happened to be um happened to be a surgeon at barnet hospital and the the other guy was a gynecologist and they were both big squash fans okay um and uh a guy called tim siri who was the gynecologist took me to drove me to barnet and um Got me through all the cues and everything, and um, uh, got me operated on the next day. But the thing is, a few weeks later, I, I got a, a call from uh, the doctor that had operated on me—a different guy—and he said that they'd, they'd found a tumour attached to the appendix. Oh no! Uh, but it was—it was—it was harmless, and it was benign. But they still had to investigate. So, to cut, cut a long story short, they—they they needed to go go in invasive again so I ended up having a third of my colon removed <laughs> in June I know this is all during COVID um, and I actually had it done by a friend up here up in up in Leeds a guy who's a squash player a very avid squash player a very good squash player um, and uh, had my recovery time and I'm all you know I'm all good now okay well
0: that, that's a scary time yeah. uh, I mean
1: yeah it was it um, um but apart from that, yeah, it's, it's one of those where people uh, regret asking you how you are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, Yeah, well, I mean, at, le- at least you're, I mean, you're, you're, you appear to, m- to me to be uh, quite healthy and you look good. And uh, uh, are you, are you uh, sort of playing, uh, planning to get back on the squash court when you have the, uh, the opportunity?
1: Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I've been back on now. So, so in England from April the 12th, uh, I mean, even the rules, uh, not just the UK, they vary between England, Scotland uh, Wales and Northern Ireland. So England, we've been able to do one-to-one coaching uh, since April the twelfth. Um, okay. and, and to be honest, the the people uh, the people that I've coached have been sort of coming flying back, as you can imagine, because they've been so keen yeah. after four months off, four or five months off. So since April the twelfth, I've been back on court coaching, um, but not really playing myself competitively because obviously didn't know. There's been no league structure or anything going on in in England, you know, during the pandemic for obvious reasons. Um, but I'm feeling fit. I've been doing uh, some YouTube workouts, trying to keep keep those going, so three or four times a week. Um, okay. Which I was onto as soon as I could properly do them after my my operations. I was I was doing them in the kitchen and yeah. you know just just keeping it going. Uh,
0: I do them in the living room here. I was doing. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was going through uh nick matthews workout, oh
1: yeah were. that i saw they look too hard for me
0: really yeah <laughs> they are hard and yeah they're too hard for me uh, a, a couple of the exercises i thought were quite unique and quite interesting his uh, jump shot basketball right. jump shot which was pretty cool I yeah mean, uh, you know that, that's a good one and it's not too it's not like doing a full lunge like a, a full dip or what, what do they call it like um lunge or what not not um squat I'll pull that's up it, that's the word because it's not oh, like squat, doing a full squat. squat, right? I I can't do a full right. squat anymore. Uh no. tear up my adductors.
1: <laughs> well, you're uh I think you're a couple of years old. I'm forty-eight. How old how old are you? Yeah, Fifty-two. Fifty-two, yeah. Things things start to get harder, down there at this age. Oh man, yeah.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so I just, I just want like I don't know about you, but I, I just like to make sure that I'm able to, to get out and enjoy my squash without any pain. And if exactly. yeah. you
1: <laughs> exactly and that's why that's why we do it isn't, isn't it just to well, it's to keep healthy but also that so that you can you can play squash pain free and and still and still enjoy it to a to a reasonable level yeah well uh well simon um i
0: i actually had reached out to you previously and i might may have had the wrong uh email or wrong but i did uh uh, contact information for you. Uh, but I did, uh, I noticed you were on Instagram and, and really you got back to me right away. Um, just, uh, uh the passing of, uh, Malcolm Wilson last week, uh, hit the squash world, the world, like the squash world really hard and it must've been, uh, particularly uh, tough for you that you said uh, recently that, uh, you can safely say that you would never have achieved, um, what you achieved in squash without him basically. That's not a quote, but paraphrase you. Uh, so just before we get into, I know you had, you had a very you know, deep and uh, uh, great relationship, Malcolm. Uh, but before we get into that, just sort of in a nutshell, overall, what what impact did he did Malcolm have on you, on your squad, and on your squash?
1: Um, he had a major impact. I mean, the first coach I had was was my dad, um, Ian, who but he was self-taught. You know, he came from tennis and. He was a decent uh, tennis player, but again, self-taught and uh, squash opened up and he just ditched the tennis racket and uh, and played squash and got me into it as a sort of an eight-year-old. Um, but as I say, he was self-taught and we had this coach, we were in Pontefract at the time okay. and there was this uh, famous coach in, in uh, Wakefield, which was 15 minutes away. At that time, Malcolm wasn't at Pontefract and um, my dad said, well, I've I've done as much as I can to this point. You know, I need, you need a proper coach. Yeah. Um, and that proper coach was was Malcolm Woolstrop. So twice a week after school, he would drive me. Um, my dad would drive me to Walton Hall, 15 minute drive. Um, and I'd get the chance to practice with with the likes of David Campion and and these kind of guys, a guy's called Jonathan Lilly, who was there. Lots of kind of older players, older, more experienced players that were better than me. So I was probably the worst there to, to start with. Right, um, and I had the I had the speech from my dad on the way there. Basically, that you do not you do not mess with Malcolm. He's uh, he's a disciplinarian. You know, you nod, you 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 smile, and you listen, but you you get on with the job, and you you know you you respect him, and you don't mess about. And that was the first day. So you know, from ten years old, I knew exactly how to how to be and how to you know respect him and listen, and and it and it worked. Unfortunately for me, there was only three years that he was in Wakefield and then he moved to Norfolk. So um after that it was school holidays and, and that kind of thing. And I and I had a different coach uh then, you know, David Pearson, who you'll know. And I had a lot of influence from, from Jonah Barrington as well. Mm-hmm. Um but Malcolm was like I say, my first proper coach who who instilled that 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 discipline in me and got me to actually hit the ball correctly because I think I was a bit scrappy in in my early days um, and he was you know all, all of the people that we've that we've you've seen online who've who've uh, given him tribute so they they're, they're exactly the same you know David campion particularly is a very good friend of mine has has and and still has one of the best techniques I think on on uh, or what was on the tour but around and obviously now he's the England squash coach um, so he's affected the squash world in a big way, not just for great players, but, but great coaches and mm-hmm. and people just who love squash around the world, who, who perhaps didn't become professional or you know just became good, good players, but have had a life in squash. And and I think there's a lot of people that owe um, gratitude to Malcolm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, when I I mean I I've known him since uh, I think he came to fame basically through for the squash world outside of the UK maybe and people not in the know through through James obviously but prior to that he he had had uh, made a name for himself obviously your your dad knew that he was someone that uh, he wanted to uh, hand you over to uh, at that point when when he felt he could take you only so far so what what do you remember about those early days like uh, he, your your dad gave you know, Reggie the riot act before the first uh, First few <laughs> sessions with them. So were you, were you intimidated at all, or did he kind of? Uh, I don't, he doesn't come across as someone who's intimidating per se. He just seems to have his way, and that way is really sort of a. The, I mean, it works, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't work for everyone, you know. I mean, there's there's been a lot of players that have, that have come through uh, and haven't lasted five minutes with him because it just hasn't worked, you know, between between the two um but i got read the right act and that was the right thing to do by my dad and he i think for a 10 year old he's you know he's a bit scary um but i soon kind of got used to it and, and got used to his sense of humor and the way that he that he treated some of the older players as well and um you know there was some some adults as well there, not just not just uh juniors um and you start to feel like you know you you understand what's going on and his ways and his his methods. Um, so that that quickly wore off. I think that kind of being a little bit scared in the first in the first ten ten fifteen minutes.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, just I mean, knowing from my squash career, looking back at the coaches I've had, I mean, we all sort of look at you look up to a coach, right? And that's sort of. You know, you you have a bit of respect for them right from the beginning, and then Absolutely. you you go from there, right?
1: You've got to have respect. I think that's the most yeah. important thing between a pupil and um, and a coach. If if there's no if there's no respect there, it's not going to work. Um, and he he certainly commanded commanded the respect. I guess you know it's his. He was a schoolmaster before um, at, at Gresham School, and you know it was a, a private school, and it was very. English and old fashioned and he had his ways there as well. He was a very good rugby coach um, and, and taught French, I think French and English as well. So he knew how to get what he wanted from, uh, from, from his pupils. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't, you know, being, certainly wasn't being nasty, although sometimes it could, you know, give you a good, a good put down, but it's sometimes it would quite often be quite funny yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you tell a
0: great story. Uh, just to, to interrupt you there. Sorry uh, about that. But you tell a great li- uh, little story in in your tribute that amazing tribute that you gave that you shared on Facebook. And it's I think with one of the other juniors, uh, he caught you guys playing racquetball or something like that. <laughs> can you can yeah. you uh, re- relive that one for us here? Uh, or just give? Uh, yeah, sure. That yeah. that
1: yeah, that was in the day. So I said I had those first three years in Wakefield, you know, going when he was, when he was local, uh, 15 minutes away. But, uh, when I was around 13, he went to Norfolk and took David Campion, who is his, um, his stepson now, because he was with, uh, David's mother, Leslie, and Leslie was pregnant with James, actually, um, heavily pregnant. So they went down to Norfolk and I used to come down and see them and, uh, and stay with them and have coaching maybe for a week in the holidays, stuff like that. And, uh, Obviously great because David was one of my best friends, but Malcolm hated racquetball. He was a real purist and I'd been there on a holiday and we were we were training one morning and um Malcolm said, I I hear you two have been, you know, playing racquetball. Could you just please not 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 play it. It's stupid, you know, it's ridiculous. And uh we said, Yeah, okay, yeah. And obviously when he'd gone and gone for gone for his lunch and the the coast was clear, we uh <laughs> we were straight on the court. Messing around with the racquetball, and um, he came. He must have come back from lunch early in quarters. And we, I think, I think Camps saw him and he was like, Oh no, he's back, he's back. And he came on the court and he was absolutely furious. It was one of the biggest bollockings I think I've had. Um, it's like being back at school. Yeah. yeah. And um, he got so angry that, that his glasses started steaming up, and Camps was nudging me and giggling and, and i could but it, mark couldn't see us giggling because he's because his glasses were all steamed up and i was sweating <laughs> yeah because uh it's just like being back at school but but um he got his point across that's for sure we Absolutely. didn't play racquetball again
0: never again <laughs> <No>. <laughs> how old were you then
1: uh probably around i must have been around 13 and yeah. camps 14 something like that um uh, but it's funny because he's I mean, I, I actually play the odd bit of racquetball now, and I used to be more of a kind of a, a purist with it. But um, it's quite a quite a big thing in, especially in Yorkshire, so with some of the older the older players, because you know, kind of extends your. It's not as hard on that, the knees and on the body. Kind of like so.
0: squash fifty seven, do you play racquetball, but on the yeah. squash court? Okay.
1: Yeah, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. and it's funny because. All through these years, I mean Pontefract is one, as you know, one of the biggest clubs in Yorkshire and in the country. But there's some other big clubs, uh, you know, in Yorkshire like Hallamshire and um, Chapel Island and places like that. And they have quite a high rate of racquetball, but pon- at Pontefract, it doesn't really happen that much because Malcolm was always always watching. And you know, <laughs> e- even for the adult players, they're like, "Oh, we can't play, we can't play racquetball because you know Malcolm doesn't like it." Yeah, he wouldn't let it infiltrate uh Pontefract. Right? No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no racquetball sales in the Pro show. Exactly, exactly. It was all it was all squash and quite quite interesting actually. A lot of the older players and talking older than those guys, you know, 60, 70, maybe even older, these people were playing um if they were getting on the squash court, they were playing more doubles, double squash. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think Malcolm is um kind of kind of pushed quite well in Ponce, which again, I, is a great game. I think it's yeah, a great absolutely.
0: game. Yeah. Yeah. It's big in, in Canada, I'm sure, as you know, in Toronto and, and uh, throughout Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, it's got a, a big a bit of a following and, and it's mostly the, the elder statesman who, uh, yeah. Play it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah I, slightly I, easier phys- physically. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, but I think it was, uh, Nick Taylor. He was saying that, um, in, in the lead up to the, his when he won World Masters, he said he didn't play any squash. He played squash fifty seven.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, well he he was pretty good at um, at racquetball, I think. Score squash fifty seven, um, which you would imagine because he's always been a good mover, and you know yeah. he's still still pretty fit for his age and and all that kind of thing. And I think he did actually uh, play and play a little bit of at Manchester. I'm not sure if he coached it at all. Um, but yeah he he certainly wasn't anti anti racketball and right uh i feel like i'm really pushing racquetball at the moment but that's just something that i well, uh, well, i uh,
0: yeah i mean <laughs> uh, to pay homage to to malcolm obviously we we don't want to do that.
1: Right? yeah exactly Yeah, we should we yeah. should close that subject
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh now you mentioned uh, that after malcolm i think he yeah you mentioned that you weren't able to spend as much quality time with him uh after that uh, when you were 13 14 but you did you did manage to get get out with him a fair bit regardless like i guess at uh like junior events or or events where he would he, he would be there just to support his own team Would would you guys still be connected uh when you when you met at, at these other events later later on
1: uh, well, after my junior career, during my professional career or in uh, the junior yeah. career.
0: Uh, after you sort of parted ways when he when he moved when at thirteen.
1: He, yeah. 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 Yeah, we would, yeah. I mean my dad like I say, my dad would uh take me down to Norfolk, which from here was uh quite a long well in English terms it's quite a long way, like a three hour drive. I know it's not very far in Canada, but uh <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. around the, <laughs> we um, around, the around the corner, local. Yeah. But he, um, yeah, we kept that contact going. But obviously, as I said, we had I had a coach uh, that was seeing quite a lot. He he was actually based in Chapel and David Pearson. He's well known in the squash world. David Pearson. Okay. Um, Yeah, and and uh, I was starting to work a little bit with with Jonah Barrington as well. So I had, I mean, I had three of the world's best ever coaches there. Um, So 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 lucky. Um, Jonah sort of through the the England. The England setup because he was the, uh, the coach at that point with the with the juniors and um, yeah, you tell Mark, great story, I think
0: it was at the World Juniors where uh, I think Jonah was coaching the team and and uh, maybe uh, David, David Pearson or someone else was there, but Jonah invited uh, Malcolm to come along because he knew the, the relationship he had with you and maybe some of the other players. Uh,
1: is that- yeah, well, yeah. yeah, the World Juniors. So fast forward in a few years to 1990. So right, right at the end of my career and my junior career, and and David Campion's junior career. So he was, he was 18, so I would have been 17. Um, and we had Aiden Harrison in the team. I don't know if you know Aiden, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and uh, a guy called Mark Allen. So there were three, uh, three Yorkshire boys and a and an Essex boy in that team. Um, and we had just a huge bus of supporters come over from maybe from from Pontefract, but there was a few from around England, around Yorkshire. And Malcolm was was one of those, and he'd worked very closely, particularly with with David Campion, because he, you know he he was his stepdad, and uh, you know he lived with him, and you know, obviously he's uh, James Willstrop's brother, um, but also myself, to you know probably secondly, um, and also a little bit with with uh with Aidan Harrison, you know, it, it, it influenced uh quite a few players, especially especially in Yorkshire, even if they were at different clubs, you know, they'd they'd most of them could say, well I've had I've had at least one session with him and I've experienced what Malcolm is like. Yeah. But um but like I said, mate, I was number one in the England team, David Campion was number two and we'd had we'd had the most contact with him, especially in the juniors. And you've seen that picture on my on yeah. my tribute um, he was right in the middle of the two coaches it was actually Jonah Barrington and a guy called Paul Wright um, okay. were the, the two coaches um, and I think that match must have been when we were watching watching David Campion play because um, we really really needed to win that match <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because there was there was kind of a little bit of controversy over over the selection because I think Mark Allen and Aidan Harrison were were very, very close, really, at three and four. Um, and then there was, the Camps was probably slightly above, and then I was probably slightly above again, but but fairly close. So one and two would pick themselves, and then it would be three and four. You'd have to sort of work out maybe the the style of the other player from the other team yeah. and that kind of thing. And one or two of the Yorkshire supporters were displeased that for the final against Australia we didn't have an all Yorkshire team We they picked uh, Jonah and Paul picked um, picked myself David Campion and then Mark Allen in, instead of Aiden. so you can see obviously myself and Aidan watching there uh, yeah. watching David Campion in that match and he uh, I think I did I go on first no um, we we had to win that match because we'd already lost the first match um Mark Allen went on and, and uh, against Billy Hadrill from Australia. Yeah, uh, but very we didn't talented. know much about... He yeah. very talented. We didn't know any, really much about Billy Hadrill at that point. And we thought right. that uh, actually either, either, if I remember rightly, either Mark or Aidan would beat it. We were, we were fairly confident. But Billy went on and showed, you know, some amazing yeah. talent that we hadn't seen before. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, put away put away Mark Allen in three. So we were one nil down. It's only a three man, yeah. three man event. Uh, and then Camps had to go on against Johnny Williams, who you'll know. Okay. Yeah. Johnny Williams. Um, and Camps was a brilliant, a brilliant player, but sometimes could just break down a little bit physically. So we're just a little bit slightly nervous in, in, in that respect, but yeah. he went on and played a, played a blinder, David Campion just played out of his skin and he, he dispatched Johnny in three, so then it was then it was all down to me in the final in the final match. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but you see in that picture, Malcolm is right in the, in the middle of Joan and Paul, looking very you know very very intense in the match, and yeah. he would have helped David to play play that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just I mean, my experience seeing Malcolm uh, coaching is obviously through. You know the, the times that you have seen him coaching uh, James, and it's, it, I always found it really interesting that the interactions between the two of them. There, there's sort of little discussions, and you know, not much was said, but he'd say something. He'd always say something to maybe, so something thought provoking. Was that was that kind of your experience uh, with with him uh, as well?
1: Yeah, I think so. Maybe just just uh, just something to to push the button a little bit, make you think outside yeah. the box as you say and um, yeah just simple really very mm. very simple advice I mean he didn't um advise me in between games that many times over the years because it just didn't it just didn't come about it was more of a coach that I would go and see yeah Um and it, more in the junior days he would see he would be at a tournament perhaps like we said about the, the world juniors in Paderborn and he would actually see see my matches and but, you know advise me but um yeah he just kept things simple that was his that was his biggest thing and I think he, I think that's a good thing for a coach especially in squash because you don't get much time between games do you so, no exactly it's yeah. you know, wax lyrical keep it, so, keep it simple exactly yeah, yeah. absolutely well, yeah. yeah
0: yeah I wanted to ask you about uh about James so to me he's you know James is class personified every time I watch him play even now he just amazes me He's just the his rack his skill with the racket his knowledge of the game the even the way he moves for a guy that big and and at his age and uh, probably more than anything just his uh his temperament on the court absolutely amazing yeah. and this obviously the apple maybe I'm not sure if that's the right expression but he his, Malcolm's coaching is obviously uh the it's it's the epitome of what Malcolm I guess, breaches is what has come through with, with James. Would I, am I far absolutely. off? Absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, it, totally. I mean, I know, I know he was, um, he was so, so proud of James. Um, he he wasn't a man that, you know, kind of said that very often, I don't think. And when he did, you know, it was, uh, it was great. I mean, I was talking to David Campion the other day and um he he told me that Mark had told him how proud he was of him, and you know he was he was so elated by that. So I'm sure I'm 100 percent sure that he felt the same way about James. You know, as you as you summed up there, he was you know he, and still is just an amazing player to watch. One of the one of the favorites on the tour, isn't he? By well, you know by squash fans I mean, around yeah, the world. You can,
0: talk, you can see all the Egyptian guys are talent with the racket, but the way he plays the game is just. It's just a pleasure to watch. I mean, he's got everything. Uh,
1: yeah, it's pure. Him. It's pure striking, isn't it? It's pure striking. Yeah. Um, and I've been on court with him many times. You know, there was th- there was a phase uh, that I went back to Malcolm after I moved back from Nottingham and I came back to Yorkshire. I've been in Nottingham for twelve years, and it was sort of it was funny really because when I look back, it's kind of my pre-career, pre-PSA career that I was with Malcolm a lot, and my post post-career and I was lucky enough to to practice with James a, a lot You know, I was down at 10 30 a lot of mornings at Pontypridd, and Uh James would be there with a lot of other great players. I mean, uh Lee, Lee Beecher was there mm-hmm. and and Sora Gosal. So not not all at the same time, but I mean sometimes they would so you knew you'd been for being for a hard day if they were all there. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but but James um He's just great to practice with because he's he's relaxed when he's on there, but he's but he's really concentrating hard. But he hits the ball every time. I don't think I ever saw him hit or miss it. You know, it was always it was always clean. Um and he was always thinking, I think that's what Malcolm helped him to do. He was always thinking of something, something a little bit different. Um, everyone thinks that Malcolm's routines were sort of just like one dimensional if this is often people who haven't been to the Malcolm sessions mm. but there was there was sometimes we do something i think well i don't think i've ever done this this routine before in my life you know this is completely but, new and i was 38 years old yeah yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so well, you watch james play i mean he plays there's no one that plays like him uh i don't that's think that's right I mean, the, the way he the way he can move the ball around the way he Changes the pace, the way he you know, plays that drop shot from the back
1: corners. No one does it like he does. Yeah, especially on the back end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he must have won quite a few dollars with that uh, long long backhand drop shot straight from the back of the court. Yeah. But he's practicing. You know, he was practicing that in, in North Walsham, in Norfolk, when he was... Th- three or four years old. I mean, I don't know about the long drop, but he was <laughs> yeah. he was hitting balls, you know, and, and going back to that time and thinking about James then, I mean, I knew him literally straight from straight from the, the womb. Um, and in that house, you know, there was it's a nice house in Norfolk and there was, there was one room which was basically a bit of a playroom, but more like a ballroom, really. Not a ballroom in the dancing sense, but there were just all <laughs> different types of balls, like a rugby ball, uh, you yeah. know, a football a tennis ball you know squash balls and james always had access to just sort of throw and kick and just mess around and i think that's there's a lot to be said for that really um and then obviously he got he got onto the squash court very you know very early age i think he was i think he was three three or four um and it just just went from there really and obviously malcolm instilled the passion passion from the game that's been that's been lifelong
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Um,
1: and his kids, he's got two boys and they're, you know, they're always trying to get on the court as well. And, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's hopefully going to be something, you know, a life for them. I'm sure it will be. I don't know if you can hear my
0: dog, uh, but she's barking now. (laughs) I'm not sure what it (laughs) is.
1: <laughs> I, I heard a couple of yeah. I wondered what that was. I, I, I internal, must, internal.
0: Must be a cat outside bothering. But uh, yeah. Well, that is there. Just before we move on, I mean, is there anything, uh, anything you'd like to sort of leave on in terms of a uh, uh, Malcolm and anything you sort of any five last words, uh, so to speak?
1: Well, I mean, I said it in my in my tribute. I, you know, I'd like to I'd like to thank him for for everything he's given me, but also for. To the world of squash, to all all of the players that that he's helped, and I know to Pontefract Squash Club, Mick Mick Tyler, he's done so much, so much for that club. Um, just just tireless, really, um, and he's gonna, you know, he's gonna be sorely missed.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, he will. And um, well, Simon, uh, I'd be remiss now that you know you're here with me not to uh, you know broach uh, what a great career you had in, in, as a player an amazing career. And I I watched uh, quite a bit of it. Uh, You're a British national champion, two-time, tell me if I'm wrong with the resume, two-time world team champion, US Open champion, and uh, all uh, got up to world number three during an era, which uh, during an era, which is arguably some people would say one of the most difficult, uh, if not the most uh, talented era uh, ever. Uh, So, with that impressive resume, would I be wrong in guessing the British national championship would be your sort of crown achievement or is it difficult to, to just choose one?
1: Um, I'd say that one alongside um, the US Open win in 1999. Yeah. I'm um, to, to, I mean, proud of quite a few things. You mentioned the, the world team, but that was all correct by the way. You've got that all completely yeah. correct.
0: Uh, <laughs> thank the, the the uh,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the two world team championships were were fantastic, especially '95 because that was the first time that England had ever ever won it. Um, that was in Cairo, and that was brilliant because I, I love team events. We talked about the World Junior um, Team event in Padova, and that was fantastic as well. It so was um, part of that team. In,
0: uh, it was yourself in '95.
1: In the, was- the first one, '95 uh, was. Um, was myself um, Del Harris Chris Walker and Mark Chowna Solid um, well, and we beat yeah. we beat Pakistan in the final that year in 95 I believe um, and as you will know you know obviously you know with the, with the Khans Jan and Jahanga previous to that sort of dominated and although Australia did win a few times as well uh, we we had never we had never won that but we we stood a good chance because we had four, all those four players were in the top 10 in the world at the time. Um, so England were very strong and uh, yeah, we we managed to secure it that year.
0: Yeah. That's all. Awesome. Who played for Jancher would have been playing for Pakistan?
1: Right? Janshu was playing. Unfortunately, I came up against him. Um, <laughs> so yeah. yet again, he uh, duffed me up. Um, but what I do remember clearly in the final is, um, Mark Chaloner had to play the deciding match because we were one I, I, who, Chris Walker must have won or Del Harris I think Del yeah Del Harris beat beat Zarek Jahan Khan so okay. England were one up and yeah. then I got duffed up by Jansha so it was one all um, and then Mark Chaloner had to had to beat Mears Mangold to, to get the trophy um, bearing in mind that he was um, he was a debutant though as well Mark Chaloner he'd never he was a rookie uh, never even played in home internationals, Europeans, anything. So you know this is his first time. But he was tough mentally, and you know we, we were nervous because Man Gul was an, a fantastic player. Yeah, um, but oh yeah, and those little backhand flicks that Mersman had—he's so hard to read. But uh, Mark or Chip, as Chip, as we call him, he he just played so well, he was so solid. He went to love earth and. I think fairly comfortably, but I think then it went to a tiebreak. we were playing nine English at that point. So I think it went to like eight all, um, nine, eight. And we were just obviously sniffing, you know, sniffing that victory. Um, yeah. I think it was Neil Harvey and Stuart Courtney were the, the sort of coach, coach manager at the time. And the final shot, the ball went to the back of the court on Mark Chandler's side. And it came off at a slight angle, and this is a little bit Jonathan Powell, your friend. He did a reverse angle to the right-hand side of Ms. Mangol, who was on the tee. The ball went to the right-hand side and round, and a millimeter above the tin for a, for a winner to win to win the championship. Wow! <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. Right. On. And, um, <laughs>
0: well, that, that's sort we of uh, just... Mark's sort of style. Of that that he he's sort of a a different type of player. He's not the sort of traditional sort of squash up and down the wall back during that time, is he? Uh,
1: That's right. Yeah. I mean, he, he, um he was interesting because he, he wasn't um, a top junior, you know, he wasn't a bad junior, but after after, I don't know if he was maybe lower end of, of, of top 10 in the juniors or maybe top 15, but when he came out and he decided to, to go pro, he really, you know, put his heart and soul into it. And he, and he, um, I remember he came up to Harrogate for some coaching with David Pearson and he improved so fast. And yeah, he could, he could be attritional and go up and down the wall, but then suddenly he would be incredibly explosive, especially on the volley, you know, on the forehand volley. and just come out of nowhere, you know, you hit a slightly loose cross court and he'd be on it and the, the ball was gone down the wall. Um, yeah, he, he was one of the most, I think, explosive in, English players back, back in the day. And he, he used to give Brett Martin a lot of trouble. I remember he, oh, he beat you? Brett yeah. Martin a few times. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And, well, he was the and man Mark, the Mark eventually hour. sorry? Yeah. yeah Mark eventually the got the to Pride in the world. I think. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was. That final point uh, to win it for England for the first time. It was just just amazing.
0: Now, speaking of uh, of final points, I want to bring this up, and we brought it. Uh, we talked about it uh, just in our chat before we started. Uh, one of my favorite matches of all time, and I've seen it. I, I saw you guys play this. It was uh, yourself against Jonathan Power in the Hong Kong. This is a personal favorite of mine. It may not be one of yours. <laughs> I thought you played really yeah. well. Uh, Hong Kong Open uh, <laughs> semifinal uh, against JP. And it was a match where JP was just going crazy through throughout the whole match against the the officials. I think it wasn't necessarily because well, there there were a few. I thought there were a few pretty bad calls there uh, against him. But the worst call of all was the one against you, the very final point because it was definitely up. Uh, that that final right, uh, it was match yeah. ball, and you you kind of he sent you going the wrong way, and you you kind of adjusted your movement, and you got the ball like a cross court out of the back corner and you lunge and you got your racket under the ball, but uh, forget who it was. One of the, the Pakistani pro there in Hong Kong was the official he he called it down uh, forget his name.
1: Fahim. Is it Fahim? Fahim, Fahim Khan Fahim maybe. Khan.
0: Yeah. yeah. But he yeah, yeah. It down. is there and any he way that we um,
1: is, is there any way that we can go go back and replay that point? you should <laughs> because it was a cracker of a match but
0: uh do you remember that match at all i mean uh, there were there were periods there where john Jonathan just he opened the door and just start shouting at the, at the referee and, and then i remember in your post-match interview uh you you felt that uh you know he he took away from your concentration with all of his uh
1: yeah well he did that he did that uh, quite often <laughs> As you, you know jonathan you know jonathan very well i mean he's, yeah. he's hard enough to play against because he's so good with the racket never mind the, the the mouth you know yeah but um looking back he was i mean he was he was hilarious but at the time it was not not funny um no <laughs> and i was playing i was playing really well i, I, I think it was was it 98
0: yeah yeah, you were playing really well. I forget who yeah. you beat in the quarters. It might have been Rodney Isles, or I forget. But you had some good wins. Up yeah, that.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And prior to that tournament as well, was I think I won the the Malaysian Open, um, and I think that was that was the tournament before. So I was already in in some good form. I think I'd beaten Brett Martin for the first and only time. By the way, that I beat Brett Martin in. In the semis in Malaysia, and then Del Harris in the final, and then we moved on to to Hong Kong. So I was in good form, um, and I don't have many strong memories of that match. You you often don't when you lose, do you? But um, <laughs> no. I I remember playing really well and thinking that I could that I could win. Um, but yeah, it was just another one of those close ones with Jonathan, where he found a way. You know, he found a way to found a way to win and he frustrated me and he you know I, I think he did break my concentration but you you expected that with Jonathan every time yeah. um well I say every time if he was beating you fairly easy he'd be he'd be quite quiet
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no, absolutely and very, uh, very uh, well behaved I remember about that match it was on um they, they showed it replays on what was called star sports and I was Living in Seoul at the, at the time, and Jonah Barrington was doing the commentary, and it was absolutely you know the best commentary you'd ever hear, right? Just, just, just his knowledge of the game and, and what you were doing and what Jonathan was doing and the way you were playing the game and he what did he call the power? He had he had the fertile wrist. I remember that expression. He,
1: he said what? Sorry. He, he said power has a fertile wrist. A fertile wrist. Yeah. That sounds like Jonah. Yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah. I mean, he's, 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 um, he's so intelligent, isn't he? An eloquent Jonah. And yeah. he used to do a lot of that commentary. Um, I think sort of late eighties and nineties. Um, there was a couple of, there was a, a couple of other matches. I think he commentated on, on me, um, playing Jansha. And, uh, my girlfriends a very, uh, keen squash player and she she just she finds it hilarious there's one one bit against Jansha where I'm losing my cool and um, and um, and Jonah says and and Simon's getting Simon's getting very upset and I think with good reason (laughs) (laughs) and just there with the door open just going 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 mad with the referee uh, yeah 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 it was uh I mean, I would have loved the the review system that we that we have these days. I think I think I might have got I'm not saying I would be better than Jan but I might have got one or two more wins than than I did. Um he, he was a master of that. But you know, so was Jonathan. Mm. And yeah, he, he if he was struggling, as you know so well, you know, he could use more than his uh skill with the with the racket, shall we say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Now I wanted to Yeah, ask but you that about, match was uh, tough, really tough.
0: Mm, against the, that match against Jatcher.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the Jonathan yeah. one that you brought up, the uh, the Hong Kong oh, that, one, and that one. Uh, yeah, okay. He he won the event, didn't he? He won the yeah. He beat Peter and the Peter. In the yeah. Uh, another comment I remember. I think you'll you remember these days being friendly with Jonathan. That that was the time where he had Peter's number. I think in the early days. Oh, yeah, um,
0: I think he had won
1: like eight in a row or something. Yeah, and he and I, and after beating me he obviously was doing the pre-match interview for the final and they said, Oh, how, 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 you know, how's it going to go? And he said something, oh, what, what time is the final? And he said, Oh, four o'clock. And he said, Oh, I think I'll be in the bar by four thirty, having, having, you know, with the trophy having one in one in three.
0: <laughs> <He did>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's
0: so refreshing. Uh, I mean, you hear yeah. that in other sports, like you hear it in, you know, boxing, or you hear you, you hear it in these sports that get a lot of a lot of media hype. These guys go out and they say, "You know, I'm going to put him out in the second round, or or whatever."
1: Yeah, uh, true,
0: uh, tr- true. You know, they do they do it just sort of maybe a bit play acting, which was a lot of Jonathan too. But I, I don't yeah. think at that time there was a lot of play acting with, with him.
1: <laughs> no, he's deadly serious.
0: <laughs> I think he was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but,
1: yeah, uh, yeah. No, he had a lot I, of confidence.
0: Yeah, I I also remember uh, an interview as well where he said uh, it may have been before that Peter match, and they asked him what what was going to happen, and he just said it's going to be all shots. That's
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so cool, isn't it? That like he had his number in those early days, but when you know when all was said and done, and they they both finished, it was so close at the end. You know, yeah, it's it's great, great rivalry.
0: It was amazing. It was amazing. But uh, to get back to you, uh, Simon, you had some. Amazing success, and I looked at your record at the U.S. Open. I forget how many, finals may have been, three or four finals. Uh, you beat Jonathan uh, in uh, 99, I believe it was. Yeah, that's right. 99, yeah. uh, took him. 99, yeah. Took him, I think it was five games, and then uh, played him a couple other times. Very Every match you seemed to play against him was close. But what was it about uh, the U.S. Open that brought uh, the best out
1: in you? I don't know. I always felt comfortable coming to the US, even from from the early days, because um, I turned pro pretty pretty early. Uh, well, straight from school, I didn't do do A levels or extra education. I just went straight into squash um, and sort of served my apprenticeship, as I call it, for a couple of years in in Germany. You know, so playing all these small small events in Germany, where there'd be a hundred and twenty eight draw for for for. 2000 us total prize money or something and you go and get your check at losing th- third round uh, for ten dollars or something like that and it was yeah. and sleeping on people's floors and all that stuff yeah
0: um
1: but then i went to the us uh, i think when i was 17 and played five to tour- five it's bigger tournaments than those but still relatively small you know like five to ten thousand dollar events and um started to bump into a few of the people that I knew from juniors, like Anthony Hill, who was um, uh, about three years older than me, but he was playing in the, the Aussie team, not Paderborn, but a couple of years earlier. And um, I went to New York first. I went to went to Philadelphia. I got, I got picked up because I was pretty young. I was 17. I, I was sponsored by Prince, and um, they sent out somebody. I think he was a tennis guy. He was a really nice guy. I can't remember his name, but he was from Prince to kind of chaperone me and he was really really good I think I stayed with him at his parents house when we were east coast and then there was a lady from Prince that looked after me when I was west coast but I did New York Philadelphia San Antonio bizarrely in the middle and then uh, <laughs> LA LA and San Fran they, they were my five events when I was 17 and I just absolutely loved it I had a, oh, yeah. I had a great and time and, and, uh, and in the
0: States 17 yeah, yeah
1: yeah and I got to I didn't win any of those events but I got to the I think I got to the final of one lost I think I lost four times actually to Anthony Hill because I mean he just had that that edge over me he was three years older so he would have been he would have been 20 and he just kind of still knew how to how to beat me but as I say i got a couple uh, of semis of
0: guys who who like to ban- a little bit of banter on the court he was one of them <laughs>
1: yeah just a bit just a bit but the funny thing with with him and and i found this with other players like um like Barada sometimes gets a bit of a bad name and but I, I never had any problems with those two guys on the court in terms of you know fall, falling out um but talking about hilly yeah he, he i think because we'd had this uh, i think it was 88 prior to the world juniors in edinburgh all the aussie team came to harrogate where i was living then and um they kind of played like a little warm-up event. So that's where I first met him. Um we became, you know, became pretty good friends and and him and Del Del Harris were good friends. So so I think there was a, there was a kind of respect there from from the early days. So we never really, never really fell out. But I've seen him I've seen him fall out with other people, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> many, many referees.
0: Incident, right? Was wasn't that? Oh ahead. my gosh.
1: <laughs> yeah, him and Mears of man. We mentioned Mears yeah. of man ago, a, again, yeah, yeah. but yeah, that was that was at Lamb's Club in London, and got got into the into the, the the main newspapers in in the UK. The Sun newspaper, not that you can call that a newspaper, but uh, it got quite a lot of <laughs> a lot <laughs> got quite a lot of press. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Now you've had the the good fortune uh, of playing in the Jancher bon era and in, in the Peter <laughs> and JP era. Both were quite unique in their own way. So, um, what was it like to, you know, be to compete at such a high level in both of those areas? Was would you rate one better than the other, or were they were they
1: different? Uh, it's an interesting one actually, because for me, I had such a long career. Um, I'm so lucky to have have had 18 years on on the PSA, you know, right from from I think it was 88 to 2006. Um, so I I feel like I went through about five five eras. <laughs> I mean I yeah. I I, yeah. I I must be the only guy that's played that's that's played um let's have a think. Gamal Awad and Mohamed Al Shabagi in both <laughs> in tournaments. You know.
0: Gamal <laughs> yeah, Awad, yeah, okay,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean he was very much on his way down when I played. I played him in the British Open. Um, Qualifying in in the late '80s, and so you know, obviously he'd been a previous world number two and and, and legend, and yeah, um, but he was definitely very much on his way down. Yeah, you know, he wasn't moving very well. It was one of those sad sad things, you know, when a great a great athlete is is struggling. Yeah. Uh, but I was I was very much on my way up, so I didn't care too much about that. Um, <laughs> no. But I don't know the when I played against I played Johanga Khan three times. Um, because, uh, as, as I say, you know, I was I was on the circuit quite early. So I was playing Janga Khan, Chris Dittmar, uh, Jansher, Rod Martin, all, all of those guys in that that first era for me. Yeah. And then a f- pretty much all of those guys uh, retired apart from Jansher. You know, Jansher, as you know, continued a bit longer, uh, a little bit younger than those guys, apart from Rod Martin. But Rod Martin got injuries. Um. And then they kind of left and it was the the, the nickel power thing. But um with players like Jahango and Dipnar, they were ten years older than me. Yeah. Um so Just big, you know big, so, guys,
0: right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean I yeah. played I played Jahango three times. I think when I was 18, 18, 19, and he beat me three times three love, but all I wanted to do was try and get a game and I got close a few times and he gave me quite a lot of kudos, so I was, you know, a good good potential but it was you know i was never going to be close to him and then he retired but Janshu was a different thing you know i got, kind of got a got a little bit closer to him but you know, got the one win against him yeah. um, in the dutch open in 91 but the rest of the time you know he he, he just found a way to win
0: he's one of um, the guys i mean when i when i watch there are certain guys I like to watch. I like watching a guy like Kareem Abdul-Gawad. I just like the way he hits the ball. But Jancher, I think out of all of them. I mean, the way he moved and the way he places the ball, his movement into the corners, his drop shots from just about anywhere. He's one of the guys, like, he, you've got to rate him as one of the, you know, best, one of the greatest of all time.
1: One of the greatest, def- without without doubt, Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was such a smooth mover and you mentioned Gawad he's probably um, one of the most recent players that's, that you can compare him to in terms of his relaxed movement and skill level but also also is kind of a sixth sense mm. sometimes you know I think it was Brett Martin that was saying about playing um, playing Jansha against most other players I and mean, you talking about world-class players Brett Martin would you know, you've seen him play, I'm sure, loads of times. he worked this rally in his in his Brett way, you know, with that wrist. And you know, you'd be doing so much more work than him. And then finally he'd get a loose one and he'd flick you and you know, you wouldn't see it, you know, it'd be the end of the point. But he said Janshu was the only guy he'd do that to, and he'd just be standing there and just volley the ball <laughs> down the wall. And it was his yeah. best it was his best flick, you know, one of the most deceptive players on the on the circuit. And Jan was just standing there. It was almost like someone had told him exactly where the ball was going to be. Yeah. Um, and I felt that a little, not that I was the most deceptive player, but I I felt that against Janja as well. He just knew, he just, he was a real bugger. <laughs> just knew where the ball was going to be. Yeah, it never looked um, like, uh, you know, when you
0: watched him play, it never looked like he didn't know. Like, it, it, it yeah. looked like he's, even when he lost the point, he kind of, you know, he was there. It wasn't like he was off yeah. on the heels or anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was very rarely off balance you know like you watch when you watch uh, uh, Roger Federer play tennis you very rarely i just you can't think of a time when these guys are off balance you know just just incredible incredible sports people and more than talented you know it's it's something it's something extra you know the sixth sense and um the ability to to put the ball in the right spot just at the right time you know and, and sometimes people watching it, you know, don't quite quite understand. I think, well, he's not really doing much. But um because you feel more pressure against other players perhaps than than Jansha. sometimes. You know, the pace wasn't always that high. Um but he was kind of just running that middle distance race and just kind of looking at you saying, Yeah, you know, just let's just see how it goes. And I've I've got a few tricks up my sleeve. If we get if we get close then I'm I'm gonna bring out the tricks and yeah. And that's what he did. He always had he would always had an extra gear.
0: Yeah. Uh, Now on the topic of Janisher, you've been great with your time, Simon, but I I, I'd also be remiss if I didn't ask you. And this is a great story that I think many people have, uh, have heard, but probably maybe not everyone. So I'd like you to tell it again, the Stephen Meads uh, story.
1: (laughs) Oh God, he'll kill me for this. Um, yeah, it's just a typical Janisher really. He, um, He's, he was in his own world, you know, and that's one, one reason why he was he was so good. You know, he just he just focused on himself. And I think there were times when I, I genuinely don't think he, he even knew who was playing in the final with some events. He just he he just ran his own race and and <laughs> uh you know yeah. just did Jansha. And uh I think there's one time, a rare time, because you you know, you wouldn't always you know socialise that much with Jansha but he was at a table with a couple of guys there, I think must maybe myself and Peter Marshall. And, and there was a ranking list, you know, the latest, the latest PSA ranking list. And uh, I think he had a look at it and, and uh, he saw number one and it was, it was Jan Shikhan. And he was like, yeah, Jan Shikhan. Yeah. He, he's good. He's good. <laughs> and then he went down the list. He went down the list and I think he might have seen, seen my name and, you know, Marshall's, Pete Marshall. And, he got to about number he got to about number fourteen and saw um or fifteen and saw Stephen Mead's name and he went, Who is Meads? <laughs> <laughs> just shaking his head like, Who is Meads? And and of course, you know, brilliant player, Stephen Meads, and yeah, 14 of yeah. five. I don't know what his ranking was, but he was pretty high. Uh, myself and Pete Marshall were in stitches. It was just typical giantship and then just in his own world i mean he got accused obviously of being being arrogant for things like that but it was it was hilarious
0: yeah i i, I love some of the exchanges uh that he'd have with the officials on the court too. Yeah. to his, his high-pitched voice and uh <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah actually me and my girlfriend were just talking about him this morning just uh, the way he was you know you know not not intimidating at all but he i mean the she was asking, you know, because we, t- we were talking about power. Funnily enough, maybe leading up to this um, podcast, but the way that he would, power would absolutely lose it. But Jan Shi would, would, the most he would do would be look at the referee and just go, "Why is that? That would be it. Why is that? And that would be, yeah. that would be him absolutely furious.
0: Yeah, more more than <laughs> enough to uh, intimidate the officials, probably too.
1: Yeah yeah i think i think the whole um in in his way you know he didn't seem very intimidating but you know the the whole the world number one thing and everything he'd achieved you know he was he was a tough cookie and he 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 knew what he was doing he knew knew how to be strong uh not just with his squash but the way the way he was with the referees and i think he got away with a lot because he was so quiet you know and he didn't he seemed like he was being quite innocent on the court but that that wasn't always the case. <laughs> yeah, he
0: he would just put his racket up. He wouldn't even be anywhere near the ball, and he he'd get a lead or a stroke.
1: Then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think I think that's one of the great things about the PSA now. You know, with the review system and squash TVs improved uh, dramatically, and the way that we the way that we film it and the the, the refereeing's improved. Um, so it's just a much. I mean, it's great to watch back in those days, but it's just a much uh, more polished product.
0: Yeah. 100%. Now, uh, just before you go, uh, Simon, I, uh, you mentioned Peter Marshall and I had him, I was really, uh, had a great chat with him on the podcast. I, I don't know if you listened to it, but, uh, your name I came did, up, yeah. and, uh, uh, you, uh, you had a battle with, uh, cancer, testicular, uh, cancer. And it, I think that, and, and thankfully you, you got through it, uh, uh reasonably well, uh, but, uh, you, that coincided with Peter's, um, Battle with chronic fatigue syndrome, and I think uh, you were sort of uh, maybe going through tough times together. Uh, do you sort of remember uh, that period where maybe maybe you were trying to help uh, Peter get th- get through what was a-, a very difficult time where he almost had to uh, basically give up the game, and he was about ready to take take over?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah, I did cross over a little bit. He. Um, he got, uh, he got ill first, um, I think in a round. like you mentioned the, the British Open in 94. Yeah. With him when he lost the final in, in, uh, quite easily to, to Janshia.
0: Yeah.
1: I was actually in, in Marsh's corner for the, for that event, for that final. Um, because I think I'd lost maybe, uh, well, I'd lost earlier on anyway. I can't remember which round, but I hung around to, uh, to support my, to support my pal. And, um, he did, you know, we we all thought he had a great chance that that year '94, um, and I, he didn't know at that point that he had chronic fatigue, or you know, he just knew that there was there was something up, but um, he didn't really um, confide in me that much in, at that point because I, I guess you just you know you're a sportsman, you don't want to give any weaknesses away, and you're not really sure what's going on and. I I tried to do my kind of, I mean, I wasn't a coach, you know. We but we just all used to help each other, and and I tried to like do my my ing up type thing, and almost like getting a bit annoyed with him because I'm going, I'm saying, you know, what's wrong with you? Come on, it's the British Open final, you know. You're playing Jan you've got a great chance, and and he just looked so tired, like really? more tired than normal, more tired than than was normal for him, and uh, and after the match, he was. Obviously, really, really gutted, and I and I was still trying to talk to him and stuff, which is probably the wrong thing to do. And um, I, re- looking back, I realised that that that's what was happening. You know that that was that was the chronic fatigue was was setting in, and and he had a real a real battle with it. And it actually it actually co- coincided with him kind of dropping off a bit, and me really coming forward in sort of after that sort of ninety five, ninety six, um, and nice but then i i had that really really good spell and that's when that's when i got tested cancer and he and he was still struggling with his with his spell. so we were a right pair really um must have been something in the Nottingham water because we lived about 100 yards from each other (laughs) right um but that but that was a good thing because you know we we were very close and we could um when we knew that he actually had you know uh, chronic fatigue and i and i had my problem we could we could just support each other and and happily as you know we both did you know we did make make comebacks at, at some point and yeah and pretty pretty good ones pretty good excellent comebacks yeah absolutely yeah. i mean as you said with uh, with with marsh that that comeback in 2000 was uh, to win the nationals after after two years off is absolutely incredible incredible yeah. yeah definitely um but he's such a yeah, you know, he's such a tough, tough character. That you know, it's not. I guess it's not surprising.
0: No, I mean, I just, I mean, I love watching you and both of you guys. Sort of have that similar, you know, flair in your game, but also a, a real tough aspect. You're, you're both tough on the court, which is,
1: which is always fun to watch. Do you still, yeah, do you still sure, play yeah. that
0: way in the, on the seniors uh, circuit.
1: Yeah, I try to. I mean, yeah, um, you are who you are, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just, um, going back to the early days, you know, I, I had it instilled in me, um, from guys like Malcolm Wollstrock, but, but also jo- Jonah, you know, cause he, you know, he was just like a, like a God to me really. And, yeah. uh, before I met him, I read, I read all the books and the sort, sort of videos and it was all about, uh, mental, mental and physical toughness. You never, you, you never, ever, ever give up. Um, and I, you know and that's that's what I took through my whole my whole career really, and uh, hopefully I'm still like that. But I haven't played, like I said, I haven't played, yeah. haven't played a match in a couple of in a couple of years. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens.
0: Those, uh, I enjoy watching those Masters events. I mean, some some guys are obviously still really, really, really fit. Like Palmer looks like he could still play. Uh, Lawrence Angema, that that's not a flare, uh, fair playing field I don't think he's still tour, he's still tore ready but you got I mean you guys uh, yeah. J, JP's got a bit of a boiler going yeah <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, yeah that last that last Bermuda Legends event was was fantastic but like you say I mean all of them were great events but um, having LJ in there was was a bit unfair you know 10 years younger than us guys and, and flying around the court like a like a young puppy but um, it's great to see those guys. Like you say, I have a good relationship now with um, with Jonathan and Peter Nichol and it's great to see, you know, Palmer and the other guys and uh, how how long that will keep, how long they want to see, keep seeing a, you know, a 50-year-old or 55-year-old running around or trying to run, I'm not sure, but um, yeah. really, really enjoyed it, you know, while it was on. Um, Patrick Foster who used to run the event has has actually moved to a job in London, so I'm not not too sure what where that's going to go but but right.
0: uh, well, let's hope it uh, maybe maybe it resurfaces somewhere maybe in london or or wherever but it, it's uh, it's always good crack uh, as you guys say <laughs> yeah well uh simon uh the, this has been fantastic and again i just want to you know uh Condolences on on the loss of, of Malcolm, and uh, really appreciate the time that you've given me here today, uh, talking uh, uh, about Malcolm and also about your your fantastic
1: career. No worries, Jerry. Pleasure.
0: Well, many thanks to Simon for that, and you could tell uh, just how much uh, Malcolm meant to him over the years, um, and I highly recommend that you go on to social media and read his uh, tribute that he shared, uh, I think a day or so after Malcolm had passed, not too long after he had passed, but uh, thanks to Simon for that, and also for uh, taking a look back at, at his uh, amazing squash career as well. Now, later in this week, we've got uh, Nick Taylor coming on, and he's also going to, uh, to pay tribute to Malcolm. He spent a fair bit of time with, um, with Malcolm over the years, and he too uh, shared his uh, tribute there on social media media shortly after uh, Malcolm's passing and he'll be coming on to speak about Malcolm's uh, impact on the game and on his squash career over the years that'll be in a few days time as well Uh, everyone thanks so much for listening please share this episode with uh, the people in your squash community I I know they'll they'll enjoy this and appreciate that from you and uh, stay tuned again as I said uh, Nick Taylor later in the week all the best to you all the best to your families and we'll be talking to you again soon Take care. Goodbye now.